0: You're listening to Period Story, the podcast where we get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods. We chat with women about their period story, their first period, and their journey ever since, and we open up a conversation to help break taboos and stigmas around menstruation. I'm your host, Manise Brothers. I'm a registered nutritionist, women's health, hormone, and menstrual cycle coach, and the founder of Eat Love Move, a nutrition and well being practice. Welcome to today's guest. On today's episode, we have Deborah Campbell. Deborah is the founder of Future Female which promotes everyday equality to empower humans to reframe thinking around habitual sexism to promote social change. This is done through awareness and action with education, a podcast, and an interactive platform. Deborah also works in sustainable fashion through her brand, Deborah Campbell Atelier, and lectures in fashion marketing with management at the Winchester School of Art, specializing in sustainable and ethical best practice and blockchain. Welcome to the show. Hello. So let's start off by getting into the story of your first period. Can you share with us what you remember?
1: Um, Yes. So my first period, um, I was aged 11 and um, I do remember it being quite painful and it, w- I definitely had, had had some education about it at school, but I think it came as a bit of a, oh, what's this all about? Especially at age 11, because I don't think I'd really appreciated that I could be that young. Um, it was all quite relaxed. My mum was great. I don't remember any sort of strange, sort of not really understanding what was going on. But what was really embarrassing was... Um, she she obviously mentioned it to my dad so then my dad marched in and and announced oh i hear you've become a young woman <laughs> I was just mortified i was like kind of 11 years old going huh what what's he talking about what does that mean and so yeah i i think being 11 was really um i i wasn't able to cope with it had i been 13 14 emotionally because i was yeah still really young i mean i look at my son now obviously he's not going to have a period but i think emotionally he's pretty you know strong but it's it's quite a big thing I think when you're 11 or any younger I mean some some girls start younger than that even um so yeah that was my first and that stayed with me that's quite a vivid you know if somebody asked me the question as you've done that's a vivid sort of um memory that, that my dad announcing I'd become a young woman.
0: <laughs> Your family was quite relaxed and quite helpful about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think my mum was um she tried to sort of navigate me through all of the um you know the the tampons and and, and sanitary towels but I didn't jump straight into tampons because obviously being 11 it was all a bit like oh that doesn't look so uh, user friendly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, she was, she was good with all that. Um, but I always had quite a lot of pain with my period. So uh, yeah, I definitely remember quite, um, early on suffering, um, with really bad cramping and just feeling really rubbish actually. Um, so yeah, I, I wished I'd been older, so I didn't have to put up with it that young. And how was it, at
0: school were you the first of your friends to have your period?
1: Yeah that's interesting do you know I I'm not sure if if I was but I was and I'm trying to think back the thing was I'd moved schools Um, we had moved from uh, Manchester to uh, Devon so I had some friends but I don't remember talking to as in obviously I'd made friends but I'm not sure we talked about periods. So I, I honestly can't remember. I, there were a few of us, but I, I don't have a specific memory of, oh, yeah, I was really close to a certain person and we discussed. Um, I think I was probably one of the first, yeah.
0: And how did you learn about periods and what was happening in your, in your body? You mentioned education at school. Was it very mm. in-depth?
1: I don't think it was, um, but I definitely knew what was happening, um, I just don't think I was emotionally um, able to cope with it that well. Um, I definitely engaged with what what they told us at school, but i don't remember it being that in depth I mean, for example, you know some of the body parts you know I still think, oh my goodness, i don't remember learning that that I had that part in my you know, vagina area or vulva or all the different types of names that you get. I, I've been learning them as an adult, I think. It's, it's quite surprising how the woman's um, you know, sexual kind of area was just not really... It was, it was a bit less uh, discussed, I think, or not just not very detailed. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely had some education at school. I just don't think it felt very clear. Mm. I mean, clear for the time, maybe, but just when you start looking and delving further into what does each part do, there was certainly no discussion about pleasure. And I think I'd come to that later in life in terms of what, what boys are told, because I have a son, obviously, uh, as I mentioned, and what, they're dis- what what's discussed about their genitalia, so to speak, and what's discussed about the girl's genitalia, it still remains more about oh the boys talk about wet dreams but the girls talk about the physicality of periods and all of that and you think "Mm, that needs to change (laughs) um so anyway that's so
0: there's no there is no discussion about the like girls can have not a
1: wet dream per se, but something
0: yes, quite yes. similar and yeah. the nature of female pleasure and masturbation.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think I'm not saying that they talk about masturbation at school to the boys specifically using that term, but obviously wet dreams has a connotation to that and this whole pleasure side. And I don't think that has been really focused on yet um I certainly wasn't going to be focused on when I was growing up because I grew up in the 70s um but it is quite I suppose it isn't surprising really that it isn't discussed for female you know the female pleasure um because I think why shouldn't it be but I suppose the, the challenge they've got in schools aged I think it's uh, they touch on it in y- year five and then year six it, they are quite young mm.
0: going back to what you said about being emotionally ready um can you can you take us through a little bit why you felt like you weren't emotionally ready?
1: Yeah, I think um, it's it's a, something that is physically happening to your body that you don't fully understand, or I didn't feel, I'm talk- talking a bit third person, but I didn't really feel I was ready to address why I had to have a period, i.e. obviously for um, reproduction purposes, and it takes away your childhood really in, in many areas. It forces you to become quite grown up quite quickly. And I was always that sort of kid like that anyway. I was a child of what well, the oldest child in the family. So I had to get on with certain things as a um a young person that a second child wouldn't have to maybe, you know, get on with anyway. So I I was fairly grown up, but I think that probably defined my um sense of you know adulthood quicker and, and and age 11 is no sort of place to kind of consider being an adult I suppose and and that's how it felt it felt that like this transition into womanhood so to speak was too quick and too early um, and I don't think I was ready and and actually that's just looking back maybe at the time I didn't you know realize that as much um, because I just got swept up in that emotion and you
0: said that your periods had always been very painful mm. what did you what did you do about it and was this something that went through all the way through into adulthood
1: yeah I, I did um, have to do something about it my mum and I went to the doctors and we ended up getting um, the pill um, to try and ease the the, the the cramping and the, the distress, I suppose. Um, and I'm trying to think back as to what age I was. Oh, I think I was, uh, well, I was definitely between maybe 14 and 17. I just can't remember exactly when it was. Um, so that did help a bit. So in terms of going into adulthood, uh, it, they were less aggressive, the, the crampings and such like, but I still suffered to some degree. Um and then in my late twenties, early thirties, I came off the pill because I suddenly started looking at it all going, hang on, I'm putting drugs into my body. I started to become more aware of, you know, actually this doesn't quite feel right. And I'd been on it for quite a long time. Um and hence I, I just had a rethink about it. So when I came off the pill, um, did they come back? Yes, they came back quite severely. Um, but not 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 as they'd been in my teenage years. So, um, and some months worse than others. So I think I'd had some pain throughout, even when I was, was on the pill, but just less intense and um, a bit more intense when I got into my 30s.
0: What was your thinking around the pain? Did you know that it was something that, did you think it was something that you had to just put up with or you had to deal with, or did you have a sense that it wasn't supposed to be like that?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the challenge. I think, um, I absolutely thought I had to put up with it. Um, I think as I got wiser into my early thirties, um, I thought, hang on, why am I putting up with this? Um, if you ask me that question now, I think it was, I think it's complete nonsense. Women have to put up with this type of pain. Um, I mean, I've done a lot of, well, I've, I've been on a very long journey in my forties cause I've had early menopause, but um, I've certainly done a lot of reading and a lot of research and a lot of kind of soul searching as to, to what was going on with me. Um, so we're not, you know, I won't go into that just yet, but um, I think really what I've come to believe is there shouldn't be this attitude of putting up, I think medicine and um, sort of more holistic approaches has got, you know, more broader and more widely available and accepted. So um also having this idea of understanding your cycle, you know, really, really well. It just wasn't around in the in I mean it was about it in my thirties. Um, I mean I'm now 48 in case anybody's thinking which I keep going on about our thirties. Um so you know it, it's it's become more important to consider our own bodies and understand our own bodies and it's become more well there's more education out there. There's more understanding of how to understand our own bodies. When you know I was growing up and then you know into adulthood there was there was a an an acceptance of we just put up with it so I think there are sort of two answers to that question (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but certainly a lot of people I believe still feel it's just accepted and no it shouldn't be like that I don't think
0: and going back to what you said about coming off the pill Mm. uh, you said coming you came off in your early 30s Uh, what what made you decide to come off the pill
1: I thought that if, if any sort of chemical reaction was happening that I'd put in my body, it would take a number of years to get rid of it. And if we wanted to have children, and at the time we didn't, my, myself and my husband have been together for years, um, we, well, nearly 30 years coming up for, <laughs> um, and, you know, we hadn't decided to have kids, but for some reason there was a sixth sense saying to me, but what if you did decide actually to to not be on the pill would probably be better um rather than just coming off and going oh let's let's have a child because things don't work like that um so there was that background thinking, and um there was also this other just sixth sense saying, you know intuition, this is still a chemical we don't really know enough about, so I'd perhaps Get rid of it. That was sort of what my body was telling me to do. So that that's kind of why, really.
0: And your journey with the pill. So you went on it. You said anywhere, but you weren't sure anywhere between fourteen to seventeen. Yeah. Was it? What would you describe your journey? Was it smooth? Was it? Did you have to take?
1: Was Mm. it trial and error? It was a bit trial and error. I think I probably went through a couple of uh, either two or three different types of pill mostly tablet form not an not an injection form from the from my memory um yeah I don't think I ever did an injection but then that why have I mentioned that Do you know I might have had an injection at some stage later in my adulthood thinking about it um so yeah there was a few op, different options but I'm afraid I'm a bit woolly on my memory
0: (laughs) yes um coming off the pill you knew that it was a chemical there were chemical reactions you Mm. weren't sure how was it was affecting your body Mm. um how was the transition coming off of the pill and going Mm. back to natural menstrual cycles
1: it felt like it was fairly easy i don't remember having a particular thought of oh my god i've got to go back on because there's some d- difference um and it felt more accepting i've i i sort of felt like i can accept it this cycle it is what it is it didn't feel um difficult it, there was a bit of pain um around you know and some months worse than others um mood swings and all of that I mean I was still getting some of those on on the pill anyway so uh, yeah I I didn't feel like it was a drastic sort of oh I'm off it now it just felt quite good I suppose to be off it um just trying to think of anything other no I think yeah I I I think it it was okay I'm just trying to think if I started taking any supplements at that time I might have done around, you know, um, uh, I can't think of the supplement. Uh, Is it evening primrose oil? I think I tried that for a bit. Um, Yeah, so I think I I then started looking towards other sort of means to try and ease uh, some of the uh, discomfort that comes around at certain stages of your cycle.
0: And so that was about, we say, about maybe five or six years off of the pill, and you how did you How did you learn about what was happening with your body and learn about the different stages of the menstrual cycle
1: mm. um, so my cycle was always really regular, and i and it's to be honest now it 's a bit different but i won 't go into that um, so I started paying attention. To the four-week cycle, and well, twenty-eight days was usually mine, give or take a day. Um, and I would be very uh, mindful about the week before would be the most intense, and then the week of the the, the period would it was quite short. Actually, I, I I think after the pill. Now, this is something that's coming back to me. My cycle was very um, quick. They, they so I would have a sort of a heavy section well it'd be about four five days maximum, but my heavy part would be just literally one maybe nearly two days so i I felt almost actually what had happened after the pill was they well it was always the case with the pill, but after the pill i didn't get into a cycle of very heavy periods or anything, and i hadn't really even in my teenagers had very heavy periods I just had very painful periods. So, um, my heavy periods came after, but that's another discussion because I then ended up with fibroids. But um, actually, paying attention to the whole cycle, I became more aware of um, how I felt. I was I was watching my feelings. Um, my I think the week where you sort of in euphoria is that week of when you just come off your period and you suddenly feel brilliant for about seven days (laughs) and then slowly declining (laughs) um and that's I I suppose one week out of the month I felt great and then the other three weeks were challenging for for a variety of reasons whether it's mood swing or um or just general sort of sluggishness I suppose Mm
0: -hmm. can you talk more about your fibroids. So fibroids Mm. are a condition where they're very common, but Mm. not a lot of women have a proper understanding Mm -hmm. of them. So can you talk a bit about um, how you learned about fibroids and that you had them and what you did about them?
1: Yeah. Um, I ended up going to doctors for something not quite related to well nothing to do with fibroids because we didn't know i had them then um, i think it may well have just been some discomfort in the um sort of stomach area uh, sort of pelvic area and i went and had a scan for something relating to that i believe or i may well have had an infection a bladder infection they might have been checking it further or not a bladder infection um but maybe uh no, it would have been, yeah, urine infection, yeah. Um, That's what it was, it was a urine infection. Uh, and they they decided to have a, a bit more of a closer look. So fibroids were discovered after I'd had uh, my child. Um, I think I was probably in my early 40s. Um, yeah, I reckon around 42, 43 time. So uh, that was something of a surprise because I'd never well i had heard of them i'm lying there because my sister has them and she'd had very painful um uh yeah a, a very painful i think she's got three and and really painful for her and and then as since ended up having uh, some procedure to sort those out because they're much worse than my situation but at that even with my sister i not quite grasp exactly what they were and how they can manifest and then, and to be honest, I don't, I still don't probably have enough knowledge in that area. Um, so, mine were growing because I was still having a period, and apparently, they grow through uh, production of estrogen and that mm. it fuels them. So, I was, you know, fine, uh, not fine, but thought, right, okay, what does that mean? And, you know, and I wasn't really given much more information about it. Um, I did feel like I had to just sort of go off and check and see, well, what's the implication? So there is some discomfort still with the fibroids. Uh, and while I have had a bit of discomfort, but I wouldn't say it was debilitating in any way, really, because there's been plenty of other discomforts I've had to endure with early menopause. But um, yeah, it's. I don't think there's enough information about fibroids at all out there, um, even now. And, you know, things have moved on a pace, but no i would say there could be more detail for women
0: and just for any listeners who don't know what fibroids are they're mm. non benign they're sorry they're benign um growths that can mm. be in the uterus within the lining the muscular lining of the uterus and outside the uterus and they grow through the production of estrogen And they Mm -hmm. can get, they can be anywhere from the size of a walnut to the size of a watermelon. So for some women, they can cause a lot of pain, very heavy periods, anemia, they can press on the bladder and the bowels. So a lot, a lot, there are many women who have them and have no symptoms at all, but equally a lot of other women have them and they are experiencing some of the symptoms that I mentioned
1: yeah and actually now you, you've said that so yeah I that's what would happen to me I would get pressing and still do get pressing on I think certain areas of the bladder um, which is discomfort um, and then the heavy periods were and have been a nightmare so that's that's linked I think to the fibroids um, and because I've never had heavy periods until around I think from age 43 really, or maybe a bit earlier because the the period, the heavy periods had obviously started after I'd had my child age 37. They probably started to kick in around 39 onwards or maybe even earlier. And I put it down. Oh, I've had a baby. Everything's changed. But actually what was happening was there was some fibroids there growing and I didn't know. So yeah, absolutely correct. I, um, I think that's the area that people need to understand a lot more around because they are common um my fibroid is uh well I think I've got two but one is particularly bigger than the other it's four centimeters if that gives anybody an inkling of you know uh the size um and yeah that they're obviously they can be removed but there's all sorts of reasons why not to remove them which you know I'm not necessarily going to go into but yeah
0: Mm. and so we've talked about Fibroids and how you discovered how you, how, that you had them. Mm. Can you talk about your journey through early menopause?
1: Mm. Um, that's quite complicated. I will try and keep it brief. So, uh, I got to age 43 when my, uh, my regular period um, stopped and I, it, it didn't arrive. And I was like, this is a bit odd. I'm sure I'm not pregnant. So, I got a hold of the doctor and said, This is really strange. I'm very regular. She said, Oh, right sounds to me like it's um, perimenopause when did when did your mum sort of start her menopause and I was I was like quite floored actually I thought sorry what are you talking about what, what's perimenopause I had never heard that term ever so I it took me a while well I phoned my mum straight away I was like when did you start your your menopause again I can't remember I don't think you told me oh yeah I was about 40 oh right Um, so it got to the point where I started getting quite cross with myself because I thought well actually we did fancy a second child and we up to that point we hadn't really um, properly tried because I'd felt so dreadful between the ages of 40 to 43 and the dreadfulness was around perimenopause of course it doesn't Uh, manifest into a period suddenly stopping Uh, it manifests in all sorts of ways um, which I haven't got hours and hours to go into but uh, all of the symptoms I had um, very briefly uh, from age 40 to about 43 were low um, confidence uh, sort of mood swings quite aggressive mood swings feeling like you can't control the mood swing um, and somebody else is there doing something and then suddenly you come back to yourself and think who was that? That was just shouting, um, and then it deteriorated into sort of really low mood, um, and and all, all those sort of early symptoms. Age forty to forty three, I just thought I'd I don't know what I thought I'd got. Um, so I was on a mission to find what I'd got, which in the end was perimenopause. Um, so my doctor was very good. Actually, she sent me for a blood test and immediately suggested going on HRT now then at that point I was into real holistic and have been for a while holistic approaches to, to medicine and I was on the defensive then thinking well and I was probably in denial no 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 I'm not I'm not I'm not doing HRT I'm not doing HRT and off I went on a mission to have acupuncture and all sorts of different things taking supplements um, so it wasn't till about age 44 to 45 when I it, they were the symptoms got so debilitating um, with the low mood, particularly, but also um, the then hot hot flashes occurred. Uh, really poor um, pain occurred in my legs, and all sorts of things happened. I could honestly, the list is is endless. So I went on HRT, which wasn't very successful. Um, I had two different types before I decided to not take it because I just couldn't get on with it, and I just thought I'll, I'll battle on. So this is where I think it's really a bad. Uh, I think women, so this goes right back to my period. When I first started my period and and my young years, of I just got on with it. And I think that's what women shouldn't say and shouldn't do. No, we shouldn't just get on with it. Stop and go, no, this doesn't have to be this way. And that's what I I started to think in my mid-40s. Well, this isn't right. Why am I feeling this bad? So I battled on, uh, which I shouldn't have done, but I did, Uh, I had 18 months of no period because HRT brings your period back. So at that point, I thought, yeah, I'm pretty much almost into menopause, but I then just couldn't cope. So I went back on HRT on a mission to find the right uh, type. Um, And I've only just got the right type, age 48. And it happened in August where I started taking an estrogen um, gel and I had a Mirena coil fitted in June. So that's kind of my... I'm trying to be brief, my brief (laughs) journey of early metaphors. But yeah, I could, I probably could tell you a lot more, but I'm Mm. trying to be mindful of not going on too much.
0: Okay. Well, it's, it's really interesting hearing about your journey through HRT because what you've described is something that I I hear a lot where Mm. you HRT is, is sold as something that's inevitable and what you've said is that you, you've you been on a journey to find mm. the right type for you. Yeah. Um, can you talk a bit about the research that you did for yourself to figure out which type was the best for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, my doctor was quite useful. And I say the word quite because she is a good doctor, but I think she's very... Um, Uh, it was very much initially, oh, I'll put you on patches because I think that's the best way. And I think for most people that that might work, but they kept falling off. So I wasn't getting the dosage. Um, So the other research in the background I was doing was trying to find information out there. And at the time aged about 44, there wasn't a, a, there were no people. Well, there were obviously there were people talking about it, but there wasn't a lot out there, so it was really difficult to find other information from relevant sources, um, particularly medical sources. So um, I think that's when i i, I got str- I, I got lost. If I'm honest, I got really lost in in the mix of what what's right and what's wrong. And I, I, I'm very into holistic approaches and homeopathy and all that. And I also did acupuncture. I, I'm still doing acupuncture now, actually just gone back to it um because i do believe in all of that however it that they what it wasn't helping enough you know so i'd say I, I, it's only really been in the last two years that i've um connected in with the the, the menopause doctor who's actually on um, instagram she's got some brilliant information via her own website on on her instagram and she obviously is a medical doctor um, and i've probably learned the most if i'm honest from her I do have a book, but it's a very thick book and I didn't manage to read lots of it. Um, and I, have now forgotten the name of that book, but, uh, it will come back to me in a minute. Um, but yeah, on, online, uh, through the menopause doctor, I highly recommend most of the the details she's got. And that's what's led me to the gel because she talked about that as an option. And my own doctor hadn't mentioned gel. She, my own doctor hadn't even mentioned the Morena coil. And I, I do believe a few people have started talking to me about that, uh, and I then started doing a bit of research with that. And my own doctor was a bit like, mm, not sure if that should be or could be an option. Um, and again, I didn't quite understand why. I mean, the reason I needed to go on the morena coil was I needed just to get without these really heavy debilitating periods. Because when you are in the menopause, you know, you're not, you can't, well, obviously your period should stop. But mine wasn't stopping because obviously I then went on HRT, which then, um, brings them back, and actually, I don't want heavy periods because obviously I have fibroids, so it's a bit of a complicated uh, situation. Um, which is why then I thought, no, I ha- I have to get without these periods because they are debilitating. Um, so in some ways, I've gone against my sort of natural approach, but it is it, I've felt the best I've ever felt in the last two months. So I have to accept that this is the route. The Mariner coil wasn't hasn't been a brilliant um let's say the first six months with a coil you have to accept you might get a period so unfortunately for me i ended up with a period for 14 weeks not heavy <laughs> but 14 weeks of a period with this Morena coil that stopped in end of august early no middle of september it stopped so i haven't had a period up until actually last week i've, I've just got another small as in short one going on now Um, so it's not been, you know, straightforward, but I do feel like my hormones are in the right place now. I feel like I've got the right dose of estrogen. I think estrogen for me is the biggest, um, challenge, but that's a game where medicine is not geared up for individuals. And that is what the challenge is, I think. And I'm not a medic, but that's my own feeling.
0: What would you say to, a woman who feels like she's on a similar journey to you?
1: Um, based on how I feel now, I would 100% recommend HRT and the Morena Coil. Yes, I've gone through a lot of challenges during the summer in particular to get here. Um, but I do feel that it's, you know, ba- based on the last two months now, that's, you know, that's not a long time based on the last two months, how I've been feeling is uh, better than I've ever felt. So, um, you know, I, I that's what I recommend. It, it won't work for everyone. Uh, and there's also some uh, fear about the Marina cord because it's actually very painful to be inserted. But I must be honest, if you've had a baby, it's fine. That's my thing. <laughs> and I, I had a C-section, so, you know, I had dreadful um, labor, but I had a C-section and actually... I think I, you can cope with having a marina coil fitted. That's my personal opinion. But not everybody's threshold is, is you know, that's that's not for everyone. I'm so, I'm going to say that for sure. Um, and I do think, you know, I'm not through my six months yet. So, you know, h- watch that space in some ways. I do think it's right for me now, but I could get to beyond six months. And if still periods are happening, then obviously there's something wrong and I'm going to have to go back and rethink that one. But um let's hope they do stop. And that's the end of that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so talk about the, the, so the journey that you've been on and the, the kind of cultural expectation for women and their 40 in their forties and fifties, and you Mm -hmm. have an organization, future female, which as we heard in the intro is about, um, promoting everyday quality How do you think that applies to women who are going through this transition in life?
1: Um, I think the stereotype is is being eroded, as in the stereotype of women and menopause. I think the which is excellent, meaning I, I think there's a lot more conversation out there now about menopause, and I talk about it quite often in circles that i would never have considered talking about it before because it was like oh something to shush about a bit like periods to be honest i think they all go together um the more open we are about what is happening with our bodies that that are natural processes that are part of how we all can reproduce and bring humans into the world the better and um There's more talk to be done. There's more books to be written. There's more openness to occur. Um, There's certainly more education because, you know, women in their 20s and 30s, I want them to know that yeah, if you end up in early menopause, if you don't know that it's going to come, literally you think you're going mad. And there's a whole heap of women I've heard that from, including myself. You you know, you go into this very strange zone of um, just otherness. You kind of go, well, where's me gone? Am I still here? Um, and unfortunately for me, that lasted quite a few years because I wasn't given the education. So I think from an equality perspective, it has to be talked about. It has to be right on the agenda for, for a normal conversation. Um, for instance, slightly aside, but I showed um, talked to my son about uh, periods quite recently because I said you've had the chat at school how do you feel about it were you shown any um, tampon or, or sanitary towel and he said no we you know in real life we weren't but we did see something on a and on in an, on an image look. and I thought well if he's accepted I'll show him so we had a you know brief conversation we got all the, the paraphernalia out and we were looking at what 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 what's his best and what isn't and he was like what do you use and and I just think that's exactly what we have to do. It's a human thing. It's not something tucked under the, you know, the carpet or whatever. It's, and that's the same for menopause. The more discussion the, the, and the less stereotypical, oh, my God, she's on a period, or oh, my God, she's in the menopause, or she's a nutter. And all these derogatory terms that are used for women to describe women, they have to be ousted <laughs> um and, and certainly with future female I'm doing what I can there to to talk about you know menopause I, and I talk less about periods because I'm not in that zone anymore but for me it's it's a combination of things it's women's health basically
0: so talk a little bit more about future female and the work that you've been doing through this organization
1: mm, yeah so that um is really looking um At everyday equality through this language, through everyday um, habitual sexism that occurs through everyday language. So, this kind of idea of derogatory terms used for, um, you know, female, uh, mainly females that come from males. Um, We rebranded recently to have the plus sign to include, to be more inclusive to males because when I started Future Female, I did have the vision that. This is a human story. It isn't, oh, women, you know, telling men they must be a certain way because that is something I think is is a barrier. I think if we join up as as a team and uh, and are equally responsible to look at equality, then it becomes a very different discussion and it becomes a very different, hopefully, action-based discussion so that men and women own it. And, you know, I don't you don't see the word feminism in my um, my sort of discussion and my detail and and any uh, language we use. It doesn't mean I'm not a feminist. It just means that that term is I feel quite uh, barrier focused and people get stuck in that cul-de-sac, I call it, because, you know, feminism is brilliant and it's empowering. But in order for us all to move forward, I think it's a you know, it's a wider discussion around equality. That everyone needs to take responsibility for, and as humans, it's it's in our power to, to to sort of shift. So what we also look at is education, and I'm involved with a number of schools where where um, we we just recently did a podcast last week, actually, at a school. Um, so that born equal podcast is is inclusive of, of all voices, but looking in into the secondary school um, sector to to bring. You know, young voices into the mix because that's where it all starts. Uh, as in, that's where these derogatory terms occur, and, and that's where stereotypes occur. And that's what is most interesting to me in, in education is so, how can then we reframe how we speak to each other? And how can we, um, you know, get the action and get the change? Um, and that has to come from both, as I say, male and female. So last week's podcast was just with females, but I'm looking to go in and talk to a group of males as well, or um, female and males together. And then I'm also looking, because I teach at um, higher education level, so BA level, um, I'm looking at podcasts through, uh, through that level of student, um, you know, teenage up into to 20s to see what their take is on on equality um, and everyday habitual sexism um, and then obviously we've just launched a podcast earlier this year called born equal uh, another work we're, we're doing is potentially uh, linking up with a number of education organizations to create a toolkit or maybe it isn't a toolkit because the challenge is well are we giving people uh, you know something to to use to mask the problem or are we going to actually see the whole kind of change in action? You know, it's, it's, it's a difficult one because we want to help shift the change. But I, I, you know, I don't want to mask it. I don't want to give people tools to cope with it. It's almost like, well, hang on, why are we coping? It's back to that same conversation again. Why are we coping? <laughs> Let's try and think about it a different way. So, yeah, hopefully that gives you an insight as to what, what work we're doing.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really important um, organization and really important work that you're doing. Um, if listeners take one thing away from our conversation, what would you want
1: that one thing to be? Um, don't put up and don't cope and don't think, OK, this is how it has to be. That, that's it, because it doesn't have to be this way.
0: Thank you so much for coming on to the show, Deborah. So all of the work that you've mentioned through Future Female, where can listeners find out more about it? Where can they hear the podcast?
1: Yes, so the Born Equal podcast is on iTunes. Um, It is on um, Spotify and Podbean is the host. Um, If you go to our Instagram, which is at wearefuturefemale, Um, You can find all the links in there. Um, You can also go on our website, um, which is um, www.futurefemale.com. And um, yes, then the links should be also on there as well.
0: And all these links will be in the show notes as well. Thank you so much.
1: It's been brilliant. Thank you, Laniece, for inviting me on. Um, It's been a privilege. Thank you.
0: Thank you to today's guests and to you for taking the time out of your day to listen to Period Story. Music is Modern Jazz Samba by Kevin MacLeod. You can find show notes and links to things mentioned on this episode on www.periodstorypod.com. If you love this episode, then it would mean so much if you could head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Thank you and
1: see you next week.